Did you ever find it annoying in grammar class to keep track of the exception to the rule? I mean, really, is it I before E or not? Why does there always have to be an exception? You can turn re- you cannot turn right, you cannot turn on red when the, when the stoplight is red, unless you're turning right. And then only if there's not a sign prohibiting you from doing so. Of course, there are situations when we like to uh, see the exception to the rule, and we like to be the exception of the rule. Officer, can you just give me a warning instead of an actual ticket this time around? Can I cut in line at the grocery store since I only have three items to purchase? We especially feel that we should be the exception to the rule when we are facing negative consequences to choices that we have made. Basically, we often think that we deserve to be the exception, that we deserve some kind of special treatment. That's the attitude that's being, that's been, that's an attitude that's been around for centuries. In fact, uh, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, we'll see the Apostle Paul explaining why nobody gets a pass and how God meets out, he, he gives out justice without showing partiality. It's a continuation of what we looked at last Lord's Day. So let's open our copy of the Scriptures to the Christian New Testament and find the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to Jewish and to Gentile Christians who were in the city of Rome. He was writing to the, to the Christians of Rome. He hadn't even met them yet. He hadn't been there to, to have interaction with them, but he hoped to meet them one day. In fact, he was hoping to go to Rome while he was traveling to Spain to do more gospel work. So he's, he's writing to them, and he's, he, he writes this, this letter, and it's really a, it, very doctrinal in nature, and he's explaining to them the undeserved, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We're, we've divided our seri- series through the book of Romans into to six different sections, and we're in that second section where we're looking at chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 25, and it talks about the heart of the gospel. And when we kind of go even further down, we look at the heart of the gospel, we see that that we're looking for the righteousness of God. We each need God's righteousness. That's our only hope for eternity. And so we see the heart of the gospel is that the righteousness of God is revealed through wrath. The, the, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, Paul tells us in the book of Romans. So we see that the righteousness of God is revealed. It's shown through God's wrath. And now we're looking at that that second subdivision. We're thinking about the righteousness of God reigns. It completely rules over all with complete, full justice. And that's not something we see in our world, is it? Complete, full justice all the time. But that's what we have in a God who shows no partiality. Paul is talking specifically to Jews in the church at this part of the letter. And we, we're going to read this morning from, from Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. Would you please follow along as I read God's word? Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art, whosoever thou, thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, you condemn yourself, for thou that judges does the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against him which commits such things. 
And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and do them your, and yet doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and his forbearance and his long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to those who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But unto them that are, that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that works good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which do not have the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law is written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or, ex or else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Christian, do you think that you should get a pass? Do you think that because of your religious resume that God should cut you some slack? On that final day, when all of your secrets are judged by God, your eternal hope will not rest in your track record in keeping God's law. Your eternal hope will rest in your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Let's begin by considering the standard for that judgment day. Again, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Paul makes the distinction between those who are with the law and those who are under the law. Those who have the law and those who do not. It's a reference to Jews and to Gentiles. It's already been discussed in the chapter. And the Jews have been recipients of God's law. The Gentiles have not. The Jews received God's law during the days of Moses. Gentiles are, in a sense, without the law. Isn't that what we read of when Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus? Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Because of this reality, therefore, most Jews concluded about, Gen that mo most Jews concluded about Gentiles that Gentiles could only experience God's favor if they took on the yoke, the weight of God's law. Jews believed that a Gentile needed to take on the law if they had any hope to be saved by God. And even more important than what Jews concluded about Gentiles 
is what Jews concluded about themselves. Jews believed that they were saved by God simply because they were God's special people, chosen people to whom he had exclusively communicated his law. However, here in this passage, Paul is making clear that on judgment day, that on that day when your eternal destiny is announced, it's not going to be a matter of if you had the law or didn't have the law. The apostle argues both sides of the same coin, if you will. If you sin without the law, Gentiles, you will perish without the law. Or if you sin under the law, the Jews, you will be judged under the law and you won't successfully pass the judgment of God because you haven't kept the law. As Paul will later say, we know that by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight is because as through the law comes the knowledge of our sin. So Paul's point is that either way, your path forward is bleak. Either you have the law and you break it, or you don't have the law and you break it. You see, the law can only justify someone if the law is completely, fully obeyed. Hearing the law is not enough. Reading the law is not enough. Studying the law is not enough. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they heard the law. They read the law. They studied the law. But that's not enough. The only way that the law can justify someone is through their perfect obedience to the law. Verse 13 says, For it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law that will be justified. Paul's not teaching do good and obey the law and you'll inherit eternal life. Rather, this is just like verses 7 and 10 that we looked at last week. If we do all that the law says, we'll be justified. But we can't do all that the law says. Have you kept God's law perfectly? Children, do you honor your parents? The Bible tells us, honor your father and your mother. That's probably the first verse your parents taught you. I know that you do honor your parents because I've seen you do that. I've heard you talk respectfully to your parents. I'm so encouraged when I see a little HBC kid honor their father and your mother. You do honor your parents sometimes. But have you ever been disrespectful to your parents? Yeah, you have. I have. We all have. We haven't kept the law perfectly all the time. How about us adults? We don't think about ourselves as lawbreakers very much. We think about a lawbreaker as being a burglar or a murderer or a politician or whatever. But us, us, lawbreakers, that's precisely the point. We don't do all that the law says. We can't now and we never will be able to do so. Paul takes the other side of the, the, the coin now in verses 14 and 15. He says, For when Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts uh, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Gentiles do obey some of the law sometimes, even though they don't have, haven't been direct recipients of the law. So Gentiles will obey their parents sometimes. Gentiles will show kindness to other people. Gentiles don't murder. Not, not all Gentiles murder. Gentiles give testimony, in other words, that they know about the divine moral standards of God. Philosophers call it the law of nations. God has 
written his law on the hearts of the human race. This is what he's talking about when he says their conscience also bears witness. God has planted in our souls, in the soul of every human being, a knowledge of himself. Every human has an awareness of God. He, Paul talked about it in, in chapter 1, right? Through, through general revelation, we see, see God. Murderers know that they are doing wrong. Someone who commits adultery knows that he or she is violating their spouse. There is built within every human an inward voice, a conscience. The Jews were indeed God's special people, but they did not have an excuse simply because they have the law. Jews and Gentiles have defied God. Everyone can point to some part of God's law and say, Look, I kept the law. I am a partial law keeper. But being a partial law keeper also means that you're a partial law breaker. This is of the utmost importance for our understanding as we evangelize in our, in our world, in our community. Someone that you're talking to about Jesus could say, I could never measure up. I've never kept the law. It's important for them to understand. Someone else could say, I think I've done enough. I've done a lot of law keeping. And God answers, yes, you could never measure up, and you have not done enough. When you tell someone about Jesus, they have to understand that nothing they do gives them an advantage to being reconciled to God. The mentality that you have an inside track is deceiving, isn't it? It's not just in our evangelizing that we see it. This idea that we have an inside track is rampant in Lancaster County. We are moral people on the whole. But our morality doesn't equal the righteousness of God. It's not enough. It goes beyond our efforts to tell other people about Jesus. Churchgoers don't have an edge up on, on non-churchgoers as far as inheriting eternal life. Brothers and sisters, Law-keeping doesn't give you a leg up. We must be aware of our tendency to present our own law-keeping in the face of conflict with others. So let's remember that when it's time for us to confess our sin. Let's seek to have a pattern of confession. Let's look for, by God's grace and through the Spirit's working in our life, to have a posture of humility Let's look towards assuming that we are in the wrong instead of being defensive all of the time. In your marriage, are you quick to acknowledge wrongs or are you quick to become defensive? Do you respond with an attitude that says, wow, I better listen to what they have to say because it's likely I'm the one that messed up? Or is it, what are they talking about? There's no way I did fill in the blank. Why do we keep beating the drum of our own goodness? Why do we keep making excuses? Why? Because we fool ourselves into thinking that our law-keeping gets us off the hook for everything else. We tend to live, even if we don't, we don't, give mental, uh, we don't, we don't believe this mentally, we tend to live as if eternity depends on us, when in reality, eternity depends only on Jesus. Paul's religious resume that was read from Philippians chapter 3 by Brother Gerard earlier, it reminds us of our own experience, doesn't it? It does for me. When I read that, I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense. I have reason for confidence in myself. 
If anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I attended church on the eighth day. Of the stock of preachers, my father and my grandfather, concerning zeal, a four services a week church attendee, a teetotaler, a Bible college and seminary graduate, touching Christian liberty, a conservative. And yet, what does that mean for my eternal status? Paul says it all adds up to a huge pile of dung. You see, we can sin with a full knowledge of the law or with little knowledge of it. But in the end, we're all sinners. On that final day when all of your secrets are judged by God, your eternal hope will not rest in your track record in God's law. Your eternal hope will rest in your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. So we see the standard for judgment day. But now let's turn and look at the responsibility for Judgment Day. So, so Paul, we've, we've read uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, When Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are law unto themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day. Interestingly enough, while Paul points us to the absolute futility of attempting justification by law-keeping, he is not dismissing the law as completely unprofitable. Actually, while explaining to us that we can never be justified via our own works, law-keeping, he is simultaneously reminding us, uh, reminding us of our own personal responsibility. They knew the law. Uh, he tells us in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 1, uh, You know the law, I'm speaking to those who know the law. He's made the case that Jews didn't have an excuse. And now he says, not only do they not have an excuse, they actually have a greater responsibility. In other words, the Jews would be judged for how they conformed to the law because they were aware of it. The Gentiles would be judged by the same in accordance with their level of knowledge of the law. Have you ever been around a middle school boy who hasn't developed all of his logic skills yet? Now, I'm not making fun of you if, that's your, if you're in that case. We've all been there. We've all done some stupid stuff when we were going through that phase. Um, and for some reason, guys, we do more stupid stuff than the girls at that time. I don't know why. It just it works out that way. But maybe the kid does something really stupid. I don't know. They, they empty roll after roll of TP into the commode, and you're like, what in the world? Why are you doing something like this? And they point to somebody else, and they say, well, Johnny did it. And your response is, Johnny is too. You know better the same kind of idea that we get here from Paul. The Jews did know better. They had the law. Jesus taught his disciples that God's reward would be based on what is done in secret. Because the Jews were, ins were instructed from the law, they had a higher accountability of personal responsibility to, to obey it. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God and a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do them, that we should walk in them. We have been given much, so much will be required, Jesus told us. We have been given much in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. A thousand churches in our county. We know the law, don't we? We can actually walk into a restaurant in Lancaster County, 
when they're open, and I don't know, we don't go down that road, but we can actually walk into a restaurant in Lancaster County and see the Ten Commandments posted on a wall as uh, being for sale, a decoration, or for, for, uh, a plaque for your home. There is a lot of knowledge about God in our community. But knowledge does not equate with obedience. Paul said it is not the hearer of the law that is made righteous before God, but the doer of the law who will be justified. James says the same thing, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So again, be careful, hear it clearly this morning. This is not in any way teaching us that we can be reconciled to a holy God by being, by being doers of the word. We can't have redemption. We can't be redeemed. We can't be justified, reconciled to God but simply by being doers of the word. Rather, Paul is teaching us that if we are reconciled to a holy God, if we are reconciled to a holy God by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then we will be doers of the word. And our doing is proof, it's evidence that God has done something. The gospel has transformed us. God expects us to obey him. Christians obey God. First John says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either, has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So I ask you this morning, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Is it evident in your life? Are your life decisions and your life priorities, are they evidence that Jesus is Lord of your life? Christian, we have the personal responsibility to be doers of the word. We have the responsibility to be angry and not to sin. We have the responsibility to flee youthful lusts, to not be conformed to this world or the things of it. We have the responsibility to, to not lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. We have the responsibility to live peaceably with all men as much as we are able to do. We have the responsibility to be kind one to another, to be tender-hearted to one another, to be forgiving to one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Because we, church people, have been given much, much will be required. So in regards to Judgment Day, we are not doing good works now because doing so will redeem us or earn us favor with God on that Judgment Day. Rather, we are doing good works now because we understand that we have been redeemed by Christ and we seek to honor Him with our life. On that final day, when all of your secrets are judged by God, your eternal hope will not rest in your track record regarding God's law. Your eternal hope will rest in your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. So we've considered the, the standard of, for Judgment Day and the personal responsibility and preparation for Judgment Day, but let us close by thinking about, uh, thirdly, about the hope for Judgment Day. We find that in verse number 16. Verse 16 says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Paul assumes in this verse that we all have secrets. I don't think this is in any way a, an approval for having secrets or, or, or that Paul is saying, yeah, it's fine to have secrets. It's rather Paul's acknowledgement of what the prophet Jeremiah said back in the Old Testament, that each of us have hearts that are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. God is going to judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, Paul says. What are your secrets? What is it that would cause you shame on the judgment day? 
Whatever happens on your device, your electronic device, whatever happens on your business trips away from home, whatever happens in your grand imagination, whatever deals go down underneath the table may be secret to every single person in this world, but they are not a secret to the omniscient God who created this world. When I think of all of the sins that I've committed without others' knowledge, when I think of the dishonoring thoughts, the sinful, evil thoughts that I've entertained over my life, I feel foolish and ashamed. We could all become very anxious and worrisome and worked up about the shame that awaits us on Judgment Day. But Paul doesn't stop by telling us that God will judge the secrets of men. He says that God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And that is the great word of hope for the judgment day for all who are in Christ. You see, an individual will never find hope for judgment day by looking at their own attempts to do good, to please God in their own efforts to keep the law. There is no security for your eternal destiny, in your, for your, no security for your eternity in your own efforts to obey. The only way that we can have hope on that judgment day will be if our secrets are covered. And that's what Paul is referring to here. Redemption is about a divine cover-up. Our future situation is similar to what Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden when they sinned. They didn't want to appear before God. They were ashamed. They were, they were naked and afraid. And that is why we're reminded of, that's what we're reminded of when we consider that last day of judgment. None of us want to appear before God in our sin uncovered. We want covering. And the covering of Christ's righteousness is provided for all of Christ's followers, for God's children. So on that judgment day, when every secret is revealed, we will be covered we will be covered by the perfection of Jesus. Our goodness, our law-keeping has no chance of covering our evil. But Jesus' perfection has no problem in covering it all. Being found in Christ on that day when all our secrets are judged, that is our only hope. That hope for our future calls us to live differently now in 2020 on this Lord's Day. We don't say, oh, okay, I'm going to be covered on that day. There's not going to be shame. There's not going to be embarrassment. I will be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. His, his gift will cover me so I can just live however I want to live in this world. I can pursue sin. No, not at all. We run from sin. We say, oh, my, the sinless Son of God is going to cover for me on that day. How can I live for Him now? How can I be a doer of the word now? We run from sin. We're motivated by the kindness of God to do the good works in us that he created us to do. And we walk in obedience to his word, all because we desire to honor him for what he has done and what he will do for us on that day. We're being called to live like we believe, that we truly believe it all depends on Jesus and not on us. That's the reality. Our only hope is that our eternal destiny does, in fact, depend on Jesus. So whether it's getting out of a traffic violation or figuring out the grammar of a sentence, 
We all have this natural default mode of looking for the, to be the exception to the rule. We think, we deceive ourselves into thinking that we deserve an out. Paul tells us that with God, there is no partiality. God's judgment is impartial. He is not granting eternal life to anyone based on their ethnicity or whether or not they were Jew or Gentile. He is not granting eternal life based on the, the quantity or the quality of one's good works. Although he's glad for his children to do good works that he's prepared before and that we should do. On that day, when according to the gospel, God judges the secrets of men, our exclusive hope for our eternal destiny is fully guaranteed in and through Jesus Christ alone. Dear friends, if you are trusting in your law-keeping, you will be disappointed on that day. If you are trusting in your ethnicity, you will be disappointed on that day. If you are trusting in your Christian heritage or your moral behavior in this life, your church involvement, your positive impact on society, or anything else that you did in this life, you will be severely disappointed. Eternally disappointed. Because whether you sinned with the law or under the law, you broke the law. You knew the right thing to do, and you didn't do it. But Jesus, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we have been tempted. It Jesus never sinned. Jesus is now ever living to make intercession for us. Jesus will return one day and take us to be with Him forever. Jesus, the King of glory and of grace, will show His wounded hands and He will name us as His own. Jesus, the One who hung in our place on a cross, will be our eternal advocate before God. Jesus stands in heaven in our place and no tongue can bid us to depart from there. We are forever held by the power of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God shows no partiality. The payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. There is coming a day when you will stand before the throne of God, and God will pass judgments on all the actions of your life, even deepest of secrets. How will it go for you on that day? There are only two options. Either you will undeservedly be covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ because you believe His payment on the cross atones for your sin, or you will experience the horror of your own spiritual and moral nakedness as described in Revelation chapter 6. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? Oh, my friend, do not wait for that day. Flee to Christ today. If you have never called upon Jesus, if you've never believed that Jesus' work on the cross 
is enough to cover you, to cover you from the shame of the secrets that you have lived in this earth on that judgment day. If you've never believed that Jesus' work on the cross is enough to cover you on that day, then call out to him today and be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord. He will save you from the punishment of your sin. On that final day, when all your secrets are judged by God, your eternal hope will not rest in your track record in God's law. Your eternal hope will rest in your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.